My brain raced as I tried to figure out what had just happened, all while remaining completely still on the outside, like a statue. Hey there! If you believe in God and aren't really sure what to do with that belief, or if you personally know Jesus and want a deeper relationship with Him, then this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Middleton, and welcome to the BookCast. I love putting together sentences. I love crafting a story and choosing the exact words to tell a specific story. So in December of 2020, when God gave me the idea for a book and started stirring in my heart the desire to write, I felt like my heart really just exploded with excitement. However, as much as I was excited to write a book, I realized that even I would not read it if it were published. Being someone who struggles and fights against dyslexia and a chronically busy schedule, I've turned to audiobooks as a way to still enjoy reading without the difficulties that come with a physical book. The only problem that I've found with this is that sometimes the books I want to read are not available as audiobooks. Several new books and obscure authors just aren't available in an audiobook format. And I've oftentimes been disappointed when hearing about a great new book, only to find that it's not available on my preferred method of reading. So as I thought about what I was going to write and, and everything like that, I just also processed the fact that I didn't want to write a physical book. I wanted to write an audiobook. No fighting with publishers to try to get it to an audiobook space or no hoping that my book would be popular enough to warrant an audiobook. I just wanted to start with the audio. So that's when I came up with the idea for a bookcast, a book that I would write word for word. And instead of getting it printed, we would record it as an audiobook via the podcast format. So I pray that you enjoy listening as much as I have enjoyed writing and as much as we've enjoyed recording this book, The Truest Thing. From Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 14. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Chapter 1 that moment. I remember that moment. The moment that felt like all my nerve endings caught fire. Still, I sat glued to my seat, paralyzed. Did they really just say that? My thoughts screamed. Fight, flight, or freeze. Those are the natural responses when we feel a threat or danger. Fight is when we wage war with whatever comes against us. Flight is when we run to try to avoid it. And freeze? Well, that's what I experienced April of 2016. It was not physical danger that I faced. No threat to my body. 
but my emotional, mental, and spiritual world had all been dumped together to form a growing pit at the bottom of my stomach. I remember their words ringing in my ears as if they had reverberated in my skull and pierced every part of my being. I could feel my own heartbeat coming through my throat, each beat faster and more frantic. My cousin, my 16-year-old cousin, pregnant. For many people, this would have been something to celebrate. 16-year-old girls get pregnant all the time and bring joy and life into the world. Why was this any different? Why did I feel this emotional instability in my heart? What does this have to do with identity? Over the course of this book, I want to share in a journey with you. A journey of discovering a deeper relationship of our identity, of who we are in Christ, and what that means for our everyday lives. I will share several stories from my life so far in this journey, and while some of these stories might not seem to be overtly connected, I feel that each one has everything to do with my journey in discovering my identity in Christ. God has had to strip me of many things that I've placed my identity in, and He has built my identity in Christ in several new aspects. I pray, come Holy Spirit, and have your way. That moment. Some moments take our breath away. Sometimes this sudden loss of breath is from joy and elation. Other moments start out the next chapter of life with a piercing sting as we gasp for air. That night of finding out about my younger cousin's pregnancy fell into the latter category. I sat frozen, unable to move from my couch, trying to process the words that hung in the air. It was hard for me to imagine my little cousin and her pregnancy. About a million thoughts raced through my mind, and even more emotions tore through my heart. My thoughts ranged from, how did this happen, to why did this happen, to God, how could you let this happen? My mind spun as fast as it could, trying to keep up with all of the emotions flooding my mind space. I usually could separate my thoughts and feelings, keeping my feelings in neat, organized boxes and choosing to only indulge in the feelings that were productive, positive, and practical. But not this time. Why couldn't I separate my thoughts and feelings now? It felt like my inner world had all been dumped together to form one large knot in my throat. What emotions had been used to make up this lump exactly? Jealousy, anger, pain, frustration, envy, resentment, and all of the emotions that I tried so hard to keep at bay. My brain battled all of these emotions as I tried to figure out what was happening all while remaining completely still on the outside, like a statue. What did you say? The only phrase I could muster, just in case I had heard the account of my cousin incorrectly, I needed to be sure. She is pregnant, he said. It still seemed impossible, but 
In an attempt to keep all of my emotions in check, I turned the conversation focus to anything I could think of that would take the attention off of myself. Without even a glance at my husband sitting beside me, I asked questions about how she and the family were doing with all of this, and a few other questions that seemed like the right thing to say. But in reality, my heart imploded and collapsed in on itself. Even with all of this internal trauma, I still tried to repress my feelings. That night, I went to bed frozen and numb. Completely sick to my stomach and completely stuck in denial. I froze internally. The next morning was a blur. I had shut down my emotions as usual to try to save myself from the looming pain. I had been denying the growing tightness in my chest, trying so hard to seem supportive and pretend like everything was all right. But when I walked into the toddler room of the daycare where I worked, and when my coworker asked me what was going on, I could no longer hide my feelings from myself or from anyone else. I burst into tears. Weeping, I managed to blubber out the news about my cousin. Now that I think of it, I probably scared the toddlers who had just sat down for their lunch. My coworker and good friend at the time was very kind and supportive. In the several months leading up to that moment, she had heard about how my husband and I started trying to conceive. She also heard about how it was becoming very clear that having a baby would be a much longer journey than we first hoped. I'm so thankful that God gave me such a kind friend at work to help me in this moment. I pulled myself together enough to help clean the mess left by eight toddlers inhaling their lunch. And after lunch, nap time. That glorious time of day where I got paid to sit in a quiet room while soft music played. Nap time had become my usual prayer time. I typically had about two hours of this quiet where I could write in my prayer journal, provided the kids stayed asleep the whole time. That day, it was my chance to talk with God about all of the emotions that covered my mind with dense fog. I poured my heart out to God as I burned through the lead in my pencil, praying out of desperation. As a window into the past, here are parts of that exact journal entry from April 14, 2016. Oh, big, great, and powerful God, Habba. I don't even know where to start. God, help me pray. God, I'm really struggling today. Here I've been praying, hoping for a baby, or even the ability to have one, and you bless my little cousin with one? I'm so emotional and confused. I want to support her and her baby, but how can I deal with my own hurts too? I'm a huge mess of emotions. God, I know that your plan is higher than anything I could imagine, but I can't see it. Even though I'm hurting, please use me to bring glory to your name through this situation. God, please give me wisdom. Help us follow you. It had taken that moment to wake me up 
to the fact that I did not have everything under control. I was such a mess that I couldn't even articulate what I was feeling. In the above prayer journal entry, you can feel the underlying pain and anguish seep through some of the words. But can you also read the layers of denial still present? Can you read into the distance that I felt with God? I can. God would have to bring me through a lot of healing before I could truly figure out how to come to Him in honest prayer about this, or anything for that matter. God finally got me to realize that I had been sleepwalking through life, numb to my feelings and repressing every emotion that I perceived as negative. I lived my life walking through every day, trying my best to avoid pain and not feel anything uncomfortable or hurtful. Something I didn't realize back then is the fact that when we try to numb any of our emotions, we unintentionally numb all of our other emotions as well. Joy, excitement, gratitude, interest, inspiration, awe, and love. For me, all of these had been repressed along with the negative emotions for most of my life. I had been sleepwalking, numb to my emotions for years. But in that moment, I woke up. Sleepwalking. Have you ever felt like you were sleepwalking through life? Have you felt the frustration of wanting to live life to the fullest, but at the same time wanting to avoid negative feelings? Do you feel like you are doing all that you can to numb the feelings threatening to disturb your life? Do you need to wake up? The thing about sleepwalking through life is that it only lasts us for so long. It's a band-aid solution for a severely severed artery. We are only able to repress our emotions for so long before they explode back in our face and crush those people closest to us. The collateral damage of choosing to sleepwalk for so long can be quite extensive. Marriages, careers, friendships, faith, and much more can come to a cataclysmic end when we choose to hit the snooze button of our heart too many times. Trust me, it is far better to wake up and face the world and our emotions head on. But the thing is, waking up hurts. Sometimes it's excruciating. Usually we sleepwalk through life in an attempt to save ourselves from deep and profound pain. So, when we start to wake our heart up, that underlying hurt and pain is the first thing to rise to the top. Just like it's the largest leaves that float first to the top of a swimming pool during cleaning, it is the pain that comes to the top of our hearts when we first try to wake up. This pain can scare us enough to retreat inward again and continue to sleepwalk but that is no way to live life to the fullest. A pool of emotions. Waking up to our feelings is slightly similar to cleaning a swimming pool that has been left out all winter. Some friends of ours had a pool in their backyard, and every year, as the weather turned warm enough, they would fold up the cover to reveal a tub of cloudy water with a layer of dirt leaves, and other debris settled at the bottom. I remember one year I visited my friend's pool early on in the season. 
As I approached the edge of the pool, I started to regret my decision to wear my swimsuit on the drive over. Now I had no excuse to remain dry and out of the murky water. I don't remember your pool looking like this last year. Do you need a new filter? Probably not, she said in her direct manner of speaking. Then why is the water so cloudy? I haven't been in it much, she said. In order for the filter to do its job, we have to stir up the pool, splash around, and disturb the water. Once it's all stirred up, then the filter can clean out all of the gunk. The water still has the right amount of chlorine, so there isn't bacteria. It just looks gross. Stirring up the water is really the only way to get it clean and let the filter do its job. Reluctantly, I climbed into the pool, and after a few minutes... The pool looked even worse than when we had first gotten in. Now that we stirred up the layer of junk at the bottom, I could identify all the different things that had settled there over the long winter months. Large bug carcasses, leaves, and dirt swam around with us in their pool. Every now and then, my friend would grab the pool skimmer and lift out some of the largest objects that had floated to the surface. Other times, she would swish her hand in a way that encouraged the water to flow towards the filter. I think that she could feel my discomfort with the color of the water because she reiterated several times that stirring up the water helps to get it clean, and that the only way to clean the pool is to bring all of the sediment up from the bottom so that the water could be purified. Our hearts can be like this pool when we sleepwalk through life. But instead of dirt, leaves, and bug carcasses at the bottom, our hearts collect hurts, resentments, and offenses. When we choose to sleepwalk, we try our best to not disturb the water in our pool of emotions so as to not agitate this disgusting concoction of pain. We move as gently as possible through life, trying our best to keep everything under control and to not stir up the sludge at the bottom of our hearts. Then we get angry with others who carelessly jump and splash around because it stirs up the hurt and wounds that lay dormant underneath. When that happens, it is far too easy to blame others for our pain. We think, I wouldn't feel this much pain if they hadn't. Or possibly we say to others, if you would just do this, then I would be fine. But, In reality, it is our own responsibility to clean our own pool and work through the sludge that clings to our hearts. We are not supposed to run from this process of cleansing. It even points that out in Isaiah 1.25. Here we see Father God say, I will raise my fist against you. I will melt you down and skim off your slag. I will remove all of your impurities. God knows that this process is painful. Why else would he say that he will raise his fist against you? When things happen that are intended to stir up the muck, it can feel like God is against us. We sometimes question why God would let those things happen. But this verse in Isaiah reminds us that sometimes painful things happen in order to refine and purify us. It just sometimes hurts especially if we are sleepwalking. When we sleepwalk through life, 
tiptoeing around the pool and trying not to stir up the hurt feelings at the bottom, we don't give Jesus, the filter, the opportunity to actually work. He can clean out the underlying pain, but only if we allow it to come to the surface where he can either skim it off or pass it through the filter. God has promised to make us clean and purify us from all unrighteousness. However, if we are too afraid of stirring up the sludge at the bottom of our hearts, the only change we will see in that sludge will be more accumulation of resentments, offenses, and pain. I will give it to you. Cleaning those things out hurts. And it does take time. For a while, it may even seem like going through this sludge makes an even bigger mess and makes our pool even dirtier. But we must remember, as long as we lean into Jesus and allow Him to use whatever pool cleaning tool, whether it be filter, skimmer, or chlorine, eventually we will see progress. Tools that God uses to clean our hearts can be individual people, It can be prayer, recovery programs, counseling, books, or specific churches and groups. If anxiety, depression, addiction, or past trauma happens to rise to the surface first, then I encourage you to seek professional counseling. God has many tools at His disposal and is faithful to walk us through healing, and there is no shame in using any of these tools. So long as we are willing to engage in the purifying process, we will see progress. About a week later, I visited my friend's house again. Crystal clear water filled her pool to the brim. Another thing that I learned from her pool is that cleaning a pool is an ongoing process. You can't clean a pool one day and expect it to be perfectly clean in a few weeks. No, it is an ongoing process. Life happens. Bugs land in the pool, leaves get caught by the wind and cover the surface, and the same is true for our heart condition. If we clean it out once, that's great. But the greater value comes from a lifestyle of heart maintenance where we continually allow God to cleanse and purify our hearts. If we don't take care of something that lands in our pool right away, it eventually sinks down to the bottom and will be even more difficult to clean out later. This can be true for both pools and hearts, don't you think? If a pool is worth so much effort to keep clean, isn't our heart worth so much more? As with all analogies, there is a point when it breaks down. One of the differences between a pool and our heart is the fact that a pool only collects dirt and debris for a few months. Many of our hearts have had entire lifetimes to collect the emotional sludge laying undisturbed at the bottom of our hearts. And it will take more than just a few days to clear all of it out. After sleepwalking for a lifetime, you can only imagine what lays at the bottom. Another difference is that a physical pool's filter needs maintenance itself. They need us to clean them out occasionally and keep them in running order. Jesus does not need us to care for him in order for him to do his job of cleaning out our hearts. 
However, we do have to maintain our relationship with Him. If we are disconnected from Jesus, we are disconnected from our source of healing and our purifier. It gets better. At the beginning of this journey, as we first wake up, it often feels like we are getting worse. We take a long look at our pool of emotions and see the water getting worse and worse as we stir up the emotions and see what's underneath. We sometimes are tempted to stop because of what we see, but I promise it does get better. It gets a lot better. I want to encourage you to continue in this journey with me, even when it hurts and even when it feels like it's getting worse. Keep going. I remember those early years of pain over infertility and how unstable I felt emotionally. I remember blowing up at my husband over the smallest offense, yelling at him and arguing so flawlessly that I often convinced him that he had, in fact, been the one who was in the wrong. However, oftentimes his only crime was enjoying life and splashing around too much. But since I so desperately wanted to ignore the sludge at the bottom of my heart, such activities were considered capital offenses. One wrong move and I would bite his head off. Once I started working on the sediment that collected in my heart, I realized that I started to feel even more emotionally unstable. My feelings of pain, disappointment, and hurt stung with such force that some days it was all I could do to make it through the day. Up felt down and everything seemed cloudy as I could hardly identify which emotions were stirred up by what trigger. Disorienting is the only way that I can think to describe it. Just as it is disorienting to wake up from a deep sleep in the physical world, waking up emotionally can be even worse. That time before we finally regain our footing can be some of the most trying and the scariest. Waking up emotionally is very courageous work. And it is worth every ounce of energy to eventually see clearly, work through the hurts, and find true healing and peace. To be able to enjoy life, splash around, and have fun with loved ones without the fear of unearthing some underlying pain. That goal is worth fighting for. You may be wondering, why are we starting here? Wasn't this supposed to be on identity? Well, dear listener, I start out with waking up because without the ability to engage our emotions, there is no way for us to connect with God on a real and experiential level. God is love. He made us for love. And if we are numb to our emotions, then there is no way for us to experience who God is and experience His love and healing. If we think that we can hide from our true feelings and still expect to encounter God in deep and meaningful ways, we have another thing coming. Waking up spiritually. Something else that I would like to talk about is this idea of waking up spiritually. I think that all of the stories and information from my journey can be applied to any life, 
However, the life without Jesus is subject to fall apart no matter how much cleaning we do in our pool of emotions. The difference between a life that is centered around Jesus and a life that is not is really the difference between an in-ground pool and a blow-up above-ground one. I live in the Midwest, and tornadoes are a common occurrence. I've grown up knowing what sky conditions look like when a tornado is about to hit. A blow-up above-ground pool stands no chance when a severe storm such as a tornado rolls in. Just like when the storms in life come, we have no chance of surviving them emotionally intact without the grounding that only comes from a life in Christ. This idea of a blow-up pool versus an in-ground pool reminds me of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 It does not matter how often we maintain our pool of emotions. If our life is not built on the solid rock of Christ, we are done for the next time a severe storm comes. Our identity ultimately has to come from God. Every single one of us is created in His image. He breathed life into us and called us His own. That is where the true source of emotional grounding comes from from what God says about us. When we realize that the truest thing about ourselves comes from the mouth of God, we learn to be unshakable in the face of life's storms. It may take us a while to learn how to live out of that unshakable identity, but the truth remains. Only when our life's foundation is in the concrete of Jesus, then can we truly begin to live a life filled with hope, peace, and assurance. And then we can learn to face any storm that life threatens to throw at us. For many of us, this is just a reminder. Many of us know this already. It's just difficult to live from that truth sometimes. Sometimes we need a reminder of what our relationship with Jesus actually is. For me, I'm reminded of what my relationship with Jesus is when I teach kids about Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. I love explaining to kids what a relationship with Jesus is. When I talk to them about accepting Him and letting Him be the Lord of their life, I often use the analogy of marriage. Jesus personally asks each one of us to spend eternity as part of himself. Much like someone who is madly and passionately in love might ask the love of their life to spend the rest of their days together as part of each other, Jesus gets down on one knee, looks into our eyes, calls us by name, 
and asks if we will marry him. When talking to kids, this reminds my own heart of a few things. It reminds me that saying yes to Jesus doesn't mean simply believing that there is a God. Saying yes to Jesus doesn't just mean agreeing to follow all of the rules. And saying yes to Jesus does not mean instantly getting everything right or everything going perfectly in life. When talking to kids, my heart is reminded that what saying yes to Jesus really means is that I recognize how madly in love He is with me, and I choose to trust that love. Saying yes means I see what Jesus did for me in His death and resurrection, and I claim His victory over death as my own. It means choosing to be with Him forever. What saying yes to Jesus means is that He gives me His everything, all of His love and devotion, His authority and power, His healing and purpose, and the deepest desires of my heart. And in return, when I say yes, I committed to learning how to love Him more than anything else, receive His love, walk in His way, and surrender all that I have. While my story isn't special, the special thing about it is how I'm learning that this passionate relationship with Jesus is the foundation of my life. I'm learning how to rely on Him more because I know that I couldn't make it through life's storms without Him. He's transformed my blow-up pool into a secure, in-ground one where my emotions can be cleansed and purified by Jesus. This is a process. It takes time to clean it all out. But I am committed to leaning into this work of letting Jesus clean out all of the dirt and debris laying at the bottom of my heart so that I can find my identity in Him and Him alone. I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in me will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the time of His return. Philippians 1, 6 Waking Up I hope that my journey in finding the truest thing about me can encourage you. But that's just it. This is my journey. I'm not here to tell you what to do. If you believe in Jesus, then you already have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. However, I realize that sometimes we don't always take the time and make room for us to hear what the Holy Spirit says. So that's what I want to do right now. I want to make some time to listen. If you're like me, in struggling to live life, keeping things under control emotionally, keeping the water in your pool of emotions from being disturbed and shaken up, then perhaps today is the day for us to choose differently. If you're like me, and if you felt the Holy Spirit tug on your heart and challenge you to wake up, then I have a prayer for us. Perhaps while listening to the start of my story, you had a specific area of your own life come to mind. If that is the case, then pray this next prayer with me as we take a moment and listen to the Holy Spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, You are good and I trust you. To guide me, 
in walking through the process of waking up my heart. Holy Spirit, blow on my heart and revive me again. Help me encounter my emotions in healthy ways that will bring me to a place of healing and intimacy with you. Give me boldness in this area of sorting through my emotions and being fully awake in my spiritual and emotional relationship with you. Please clean out the sludge that is in my heart and open me up to more of your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Resources I want to share a song with you that really speaks to me. Awakening by Amanda Lindsay Cook speaks to me because it puts words and melody to some of these feelings. I've linked to this song in the show notes, and I hope that you hear the beauty in the words as well. I believe everything happens for a reason, so I don't think you're listening to this by accident. Because of that, I am so excited that you joined us for Chapter 1 of The Truest Thing, published via the podcast. The next time your friends are talking about a new book they're reading, feel free to tell them about The Truest Thing, because technically you're reading a book too. You're reading one of the first books to be published solely through an audio format. Thank you for being part of this journey, and I hope that you have a blessed day in Jesus. Uh, Okay. Uh, And I have... Yep.